Sponsor for The Shepherd's Crook this month is Crown Brew Coffee Company. Crown Brew Coffee believes that a great cup of coffee can build a great community. Their founders fell in love with coffee while serving in the mission field and started bringing different coffees back with them from around the world. As their love for coffee deepened, they began to study and understand how to prepare it intentionally with manual brewing techniques and other unique methods. Crown Brew started by being transparent with the brewing process and techniques to empower people to make better coffee at home. Now they have a cafe that specializes in craft brews and education that attracts a diverse community of patrons. Plus, all of Crown Brew's coffee is fair trade, meaning that farmers producing these amazing beans are being taken care of. If you want to learn more about their story, the craft coffee industry, or get your hands on some incredible beans, stop by crownbrewcoffee.com to check them out. Or if you're in Carterville, Illinois, they would love to make you a delicious cup of coffee in their shop and share their story. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor. Come alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I am excited to interview a friend of mine today, Noah Oldham. He is in St. Louis. How you doing, man? Man, doing well. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's great, great to have you. Let's let's go ahead and pray, and then I'll shoot some questions your way. Father, we uh, thank you for this time that we have to talk about you, talk about life and ministry, and I just thank you for Noah and his uh, influence in so many, or your work through him. And I'm just so thankful for that. And uh, I just ask that you would lead this time, put a big spotlight, as I always ask, right on Jesus, and I trust that you're going to. And uh, it's a joy to be able to just talk about these things. Holy Spirit, I trust that you're going to lead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Noah, for those who may not be all that familiar with you, would you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and then what it is that you do? Yeah. My name's Noah Oldham. Um, I'm married to Heather. We've been married for 14 years at this point. We've got five uh, beautiful, amazing children, ages nine all the way down to newborn. And uh, we live in the St. Louis metro area, have lived here for a little over a decade, and I am a church planter. I planted August Gate Church in August of 2009 in the South City neighborhood of Soulard. We've since moved to the neighborhood of Tower Grove East, and we planted a second gathering of our church in Belleville, Illinois. And uh, I get to serve with the North American Mission Board as the Send City Missionary, meaning I get to help be a part of building out our network here in St. Louis and care for church planters all over the St. Louis metro region. That's really So you're wearing a lot of hats. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, they, In many ways, they those hats overlap in a lot of ways. Yeah. The vision of our church to plant churches uh, has really worked well with my role with the North American Mission Board. And uh, my wife has been a, uh, a Christian for a long time, and she's a PK, and so she's been in the church, and so she's got a lot of wisdom and experience to add to everything. And so our life is pretty unified, but it is diverse. Yeah. We are, have our hands on a lot of different things. Very cool. Now, you are from Southern Illinois. You're from El Dorado, which... I am. Yeah, that's right. So, funny story, for those that don't know, Noah grew up good friends with my brother-in-law, Jesse. And yeah, yeah, I mean, so I, I'm, I wanted to spring this on you. You got to tell at least one story. Knowing Jesse, you guys probably had some crazy stories together. Can, I mean, throw out one story of something crazy that happened hanging out with him. Oh man! So um, <laughs> yeah. So w- one day, uh, Jesse and I had another friend named John McDonald, who's a pastor in uh, Southern Central Illinois as well, and we spent a lot of time together. 
And uh, one day we went and picked up this yellow vinyl chair that Jesse wanted to have in his his bedroom. He had like a bedroom loft, his parents' house. (laughs) And we got this yellow vinyl chair. And instead of just picking it up and taking it to his house, we drove it around town, taking turns, sitting in the back of the truck, uh, leaning back (laughs) in it, standing in it, uh, doing some pretty dangerous things. And then that night we had a we all stayed at Jesse's house, and I believe it was John. It may have been Jesse, but one of them slept in the chair shirtless all night. And when they woke up, they didn't realize their back would be stuck to the chair, and they peeled an entire layer of skin off when they pulled their sweaty body away from that chair. So, oh, and good memories. Uh, I got That's so great. many more, but uh, great time with, with your brother-in-law, Jesse. That's cool. So you know Jordan, I mean, when she was little, really little. Yeah. yeah, she was the she was the cute little sister out there uh, working on cheerleading stunts. Yeah, when we were tr- trying to be cool <laughs> high school kids that uh, uh, that were yeah. hanging out at the same time. Yes, yeah, I, I know so we're fun. in that realm. That's cool. That's really cool. So another Southern Illinois guy. Uh, we love Southern Illinois. And one other uh, fact: you grew up a Cub fan, but then you converted when you became a Christian and, and became a Cardinal fan. Is that right? <laughs> well, when I when I uh, became a missionary to St. Louis, yeah, okay. I grew up my entire life okay. being a Cubs fan because I I was born in Chicago. My dad okay. was in the Navy. Moved to, back to my parents' hometown of El Dorado when I was seven, and then. Um, when I moved to St. Louis, I wanted to be a missionary to the city, love the city. So I was in all the bars and restaurants and neighborhoods having conversations with people. And it was the summertime when we planted, and so it was Cardinals everything, talking about Pujols, talking about Yachty. And before you know it, my learning about the culture of the Cardinals turned into mm. an affection for the culture of the Cardinals. And I just finally made a decision one day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up the blue and pick up the red. And I call it my baseball conversion. Um, but, but, you know, the thing that not everybody knows, uh, is that when the Cardinals are out of it, I still cheer for the boys in blue. Okay. There you go. That's a, well, we will allow it. Uh, I appreciate that. So one other local fact that's cool about El Dorado is, uh, what was it? George Harrison first place that he ever played in, in Southern Illinois was something in El Dorado. Is there some sort of tie to the Beatles in El Dorado or something like that? about El Dorado. I know there's some Beatles sign outside Benton, Illinois, but okay. I don't know that fun factoid about El Dorado. I know that the sign used to say, the home of 4,200 friendly people and one old sorehead, and they would give the award out for the old sorehead every year at Town and Country nice. Days. So they still do. Okay. Yeah. Okay, very cool. Alright, well let's transition a little bit. and Let's just talk about ministry, and, and please, if you would, I ask everybody on the show, tell us about your internal and external call to ministry and when you were, you know, when it was where were you, when it was, what the process was from the internal uh, desire to that external process of being in ministry? Oh, man. So I was saved uh, at 17 at Camp Oxford in Rudiman, Illinois, a small town outside of a small town, outside of a small town in southern Illinois. Um, I had grown up in church most of my life, Christian mother, non-Christian father. My mom was sick. Um, she had an autoimmune, autoimmune kidney disease that eventually took her life when I was uh, 24 uh, several years ago now. Uh, but because of that, I grew up always believing in God. There's never a moment I didn't believe God existed, but most of my life I didn't trust God, didn't believe God was good, and did not want to follow Him. And so I was not converted to faith until I was 17. Um, I actually told God when I was 10 years old I hated Him because of what He let my mom go through. Hmm. And uh, I never wanted to follow Him because He wasn't good. Uh, but God opened my heart to faith in 2000 down in, in Rudman, Illinois, and just saved me, man. And grabbed a hold of my heart, showed me he was good. So I went away to college uh, a little over a year later, just a year and a couple months later, to play football at McKendry University, back when it was just a college up here around St. Louis. And I got hurt during two days. And so I spent all of my time 
um, away from football, away from the weight room, away from practice because I couldn't do anything. And since I was a brand new believer, super excited about the Lord, um, my, my heart had just really come alive in a true way. It wasn't a progressive redemption. It was like front-to-back bumper in a moment. Hmm. And so I spent all my time sharing the gospel on campus. I was going to my professors that were atheists and sitting down and having meetings and trying to use a basic uh, classical apologetic arguments to win them to faith. And I came back from one of those conversations with my anthropology professor, Dr. Troop, and I didn't win her to faith that that day, but I believed that I, I had made ground. So I was emailing my mom back when it was still like really slow uh, T1 lines, and I was emailing her in the middle of that email. I was typing out the line, uh, my heart feels so alive and I do this. I just want to tell. And I was going to say, I just want to tell people about Jesus. Hmm. And after I got the word tell out, it, the Spirit of God showed up in my dorm room. My face was slammed down on my keyboard for about 30 minutes. And all I could do was weep as I heard the Lord say again and again in my heart, in my head, um, you're going to tell, you're going to mm. tell, you're going to tell. And I saw all the plans that I had made for myself really flashing before my eyes. I was wanting to be a doctor or a lawyer. I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted to have a lot of success. And um, it all became like tasteless to me. Mm. It became something I didn't want anymore. And I felt not a sense of shame and guilt that, that took me away from the Lord, but in comparison to what the Lord was calling me to and knowing him and being used by him, it just... I felt shame and guilt of how having ever made my own plans to begin with. And so now uh, the door is open. People are passing by. I'm sobbing. I can't move. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, uh, that moment passes. It was 826 uh, in the morning. And uh, and uh, I, I just, the moment passed. And I finished the email to my mom. I said, you don't know what just happened, but this just happened. Hmm. And when I, I came home from school that Christmas, um, she had apparently told other people. She had told my pastors back home what God was doing, and immediately my pastors in my church began to disciple me. They Man, started to awesome. bring me into relationship and give me opportunity, and so that first summer home, I began to lead Bible studies for the junior high youth group, and then at church camp, um, junior camp that year, Camp Oxford, I was allowed to preach my very first gospel sermon, and um, I don't remember how good it was. I just remember I loved it. I'm hmm. sure it was horrible, but... Um, <laughs> Something came alive, and I knew, like, this is it. This is it. This is what I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing. Man, that's so cool. And yeah, I, I love hearing your story, and I love, because you grew up in a church, I think similar to mine, it's a little chapel, it was kind of like a Baptocostal church a little bit, is that exactly. a good definition? And that's kind of the church I grew up in, so just hearing your story and your testimony is so, just awesome, and I can't wait, the last question I'm going to ask you is, just why do you love Jesus so much? And that just ties into everything from the beginning of his call in your life, and just telling people about him, I mean, just just awesome. And so, the neat thing I hear in that is is the pastors that were at the church, they kind of fanned the flame. They didn't say, well, well, you know, hey, hold on, buddy. Uh, that passion will run dry. I can't tell you how many times I, I heard that. You know, give it a few years. And, and almost as if they, they wanted to put a wet blanket on top. And it sounds like you got the opposite. And it sounds like oh, you gosh. got people fanning the flame and coming alongside. And, and the, the, the experience that I had, although it was really positive in a lot of ways, that call into ministry was not encouraged to be pursued by any of the younger people at all. It was oh, completely the opposite. So I, I'm somewhat, it, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to hear that that's what was going on there, that, that they pushed you in that direction. It's, it's incredible. And then camp, what is it about camp? Man, there's something special. I saw that you were down there at camp, but I've got stories of camp stories, but God seems to do some unique things at, at camp. And he does. I think anytime God gets us away from all the noise for a few days and we can focus on him, 
uh, he shows up in all of that. And, and I think that we can see those moments happen in what we might call the regular, ordinary week to week if we would find ways to carve out more time and more space to hear his voice. But mm. I think we come expected to camp saying, God, we want you to show up. I, I, he just loves to show up. He loves us and he yeah. wants us to know him and experience him. So it's That's always good. been some of the best times of my life. That's good. So why St. Louis? People are navigating where to plant, why to plant. How did it end up happening that you guys planted in St. Louis? Yeah, so when I eventually came on staff at Little Chapel, the church that I was saved in and, and was discipled in, raised in, uh, I came on staff as a youth pastor after my youth pastor left. And during that time, I got to do a lot of ministry with, with uh, youth as I was a youth pastor, but also with college students and young adults that were transitioning into a full-fledged adulthood out of what we would call uh, student ministry to the extreme. You know, like these college students hanging around a little longer and becoming helpers. Um, began to realize that in uh, Southern Illinois, especially because there wasn't a large population of young adults, young mm-hmm. adults often left our hometowns, mm-hmm. moved away to college, and unless they were going to be a teacher or work in the medical field, they really most of them never came back because right. the coal mines are shutting down, the factories were, were no longer there. It's weren't a lot of jobs, so you're either going to farm or going to go away and go to college, and most likely never come back. Because of that, the church culture there, uh, no fault of their own, there's being who they are, it's filled with a lot of people that were in their 40s and 50s and their kids that were um, that were in elementary, junior high, and high school. And there really wasn't a place, there wasn't a church, wasn't a place that really was able to focus on that young adult population. So we saw people not thriving in their faith at, at that, that stage. And when I was in college, I saw the same thing. Students would come to college having been under their parents' wing for a while, and now they no longer have the youth pastor and the youth group and their parents forcing them to do this, that, and the other. And faith became something that was irrelevant for them. They would say that at least. And I had this passion, and my wife and I had this desire that was built to see people of that demographic, the 20s and 30s, see the gospel, hear the gospel in an idiom they could understand, see its relevance for their life and its power, uh, to not wait till they're later in life to get serious about their faith when they're raising a family, but but now run hard after the Lord. And um, as that passion began to develop in southeastern Illinois, we realized that if we were going to plant a church to reach those people, it was going to be a city. Hmm. And so I prayed about every small city you could think of. Springfield, Illinois, because my brother was was that direction because of his residency with med school. Evansville, Indiana, Paducah, Kentucky, because they were close, and they were small, and they felt easy, and I knew them a little bit. Um, I didn't want to go to St. Louis. I mean, honestly, it was the city I did not want to go to. Hmm. Um, my history of St. Louis was when I was younger, my mom went there every time she was about to die. And St. Louis nauseated me. And it was, at that point, like you've already said, the home of the Cardinals, and I was a Cubs fan. And just nothing about St. Louis attracted me. When I was in college, it was close, but I never went to the city because it was dangerous. But as God began to hone our call, we got maps of some of the cities, Chicago, Evansville, St. Louis, and others. And we began to just pray over them. We hung them on walls, and we began to pray over maps. And God continued to draw our hearts through relationships towards St. Louis. Hmm. And, and when God eventually called us there to do a residency, um, we knew, hey, this is where this is where it is. And I kind of humorously tell the story that uh, the book of Jonah was really instrumental in this call to plant. And I didn't want to end up in the belly of a giant catfish at the bottom of the Mississippi. So I ran <laughs> toward St. Louis and not away. That's good. Uh, but that was why. It was the call. God said go. And though I didn't necessarily want to, it wasn't my choice. Um, I think a lot of times now, People feel church planting to urban areas feels sexy, and it's the thing everybody wants to do. I wasn't one of those guys. I didn't want to go there. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's helpful because I think you know a lot of planters, pastors, when they're trying to navigate these things, it, it almost feels like they either have to have 
you know, they get out the map and put it on a dot or pray or whatever. But it seems like over time, God just ends up revealing it and making it clear in a myriad of different ways. For some people, it's just instantly they know. And then some people, it's just through relationships and then through doors being opened. And then God kind of taking his boot and just kicking us through the doors, whatever it may be. It's kind of how it was with, with Carbondale for us. We didn't really want to plant in Carbondale. We didn't want to plant at all. And God just made it happen. It was We kind of felt like we were in this storm and then... All of a sudden, oh my goodness, there's a church that was planted. Now, we're a couple hours away from St. Louis, hour and 45 minutes. We can get there, yeah. hour and 46 minutes, something like that. And uh, we come up, we just went up and uh, had a little family staycation, but went two days to St. Louis, went to the Cheshire, which is great, saw the big bear uh, mm-hmm. in the lobby there. Went to Grant's Farm, that was a good time. I yeah. uh, love, really love St. Louis. But as I kind of look on the internet and see what's happening, there is a really great pastor culture that's begun to happen in the St. Louis region, and we're outside of that. But we, I see it. You know, we're not. We don't. I don't come a lot to the plant Midwest. I, I really do need to start coming to those. But uh, how did that? Because you're, I think, about ten years in now of August Gate. Did you say? Yeah. Okay. How did that culture begin to develop to what it is today? Just talk about that brotherhood, if you would, of pastors in, in your region. Yeah. So it was something that that I knew that I needed um, from the very beginning when I went through my first church planning assessment. And I was told, hey, we think you're called to plant, but you're really young. And I was. I was 24 at the time. At that point, I think of the network I was planting with, I was the youngest guy to have gone through that process mm-hmm. up to that point. And uh, so I was super young, and I knew I needed people to learn from. And I grew up with two brothers. I'm the middle son of, of three boys. And I've always just done stuff with brothers. So brotherhood and friendship at that level is attractive to me. And uh, I planted with two of my best friends. And so it was always this part of, we need this. We need other people. We need diversity. I see it in Scripture and Ephesians 4. We need diversity. We need plurality. But when I came to St. Louis, there was a small group of pastors that eventually became this thing known as Plant Midwest, but they were meeting just uh, for about a year, I think, at that point that I joined in a, a Sunday school room in a local Baptist church once a month to pray together, uh, to learn something together, and then go connect for lunch afterwards. And they invited me into that, and I jumped right away. And through that, you know, friendships continue to build and so Darren Casper, who is still here leading church planting in St. Louis at the local Baptist Association, he was instrumental. He's a connector. I mean, that mm-hmm. dude is, is apostolic in that way. He's a connector. He believes in a wide umbrella when possible. Get as many people underneath that, and let's find ways to do ministry together. And so he was really influential in that. But as we began to uh, build out the SEND network here in St. Louis, planting more churches, uh, that was one of our our core values. It was brotherhood. And it came so natural to me that I grabbed a hold of it. When someone cast vision to me, was brotherhood's going to be a core value. I said, well, absolutely, let's make this happen. Mm. And wanting to care for planters well. So when I got that role with the North American Mission Board and was, said, was told to care for planters, I tried to do everything I could to do that, to get guys together, to spend time, to pass on wisdom, to connect guys one to to each other so that they could make sure and pour out because if we're going to multiply and so many people talk about multiplication and want to be a church planting church and plant pregnant if we're going to do that we need one another we need mm, gospel synergy we don't need these silos that, that tend to not trust each other and don't want to work together uh, because of maybe secondary issues or more likely than not tertiary issues but instead we need to find ways to partner together and when you're in a network or you're in a denomination like those things should should come easy. Mm-hmm. And so in our network, they've done that. And so we've tried to build that out in our own church by sharing our resources. Um, but but it's been something that uh, the North American Mission Board and the SEND Network has given us the resources to instill in St. Louis. That's good. So it sounds like you have the best of both worlds and two worlds that 
so many pastors don't have at all, which is they feel alone and isolated at their local church. They have no friends there whatsoever. And they've been told, you know, you can't have friends at your church even. And then they don't have other pastor friends. They don't even have a network of, you know, people in the community or pastors in the community or region. So they feel isolated and alone. Now, let's just say a guy like yourself has both of those. What are the advantages of when it comes to care? And that's what I want to do with the Shepherd's Crook Care Council Resources for Pastors. I want to help give confidential care for pastors, help help people who don't have anybody, pastors that don't have anybody. But what, what are the advantages of having local friends that you serve with and can they provide a specific care for you, or maybe accountability, more more in-depth accountability or something like that, than this local group of regional pastor friends can? And then what's the advantage of having these local regional friends? Why should guys pursue both of those things? Man, I have had both of those things. So I planted with two of my best friends, and when we went through the planting process, we had so many people tell me, don't plant with your friends, you're going to hate each other in a couple years, it'll never work. And now years later, those same networks are telling everybody, you have to plant with other people. <laughs> and so we just trusted oh, the Lord's call for our life, and you know, he, he vindicated us in the end. But the great thing is we're all still friends. We still awesome. love each other, root each other on, even though one of the guys is no longer on our team. He went and planted another church, we send him out. Hmm. But having that's so important because... In the midst of ministry, like you are in the foxhole together. And in order to not make the people on your team your enemy and to begin thinking that they're out to get you as well, you've got to have a level of friendship. Yeah. Now, I had the benefit of planting a church and being able to choose the people that were my leaders. A lot of local church pastors don't. Right. They get brought into a church, voted on, and they have to try to find friends or make friends among people who, if they're congregationally led, are their bosses or they're deacon-led and, and they brought them in and they're their bosses. But on the other side, we have the dynamic as I'm the lead pastor, and there is the dynamic of the friendship, but also the structure of leadership in our church. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to learn how to lead that way, of not try to, uh, to be, and be honest, my failure isn't that I push too hard on friends, is I often don't lead strong enough. Mm-hmm. They need mm-hmm. me to lead like a lead pastor, but I'm afraid of looking like some of the leaders who have gone before us who are no longer in ministry because their church has asked them to leave because of their authoritarian right. um uh, bent and so I don't want to become that so often I don't lead hard enough and, and they're there to challenge me in that and, and encourage me in that and even in this last season as our church has expanded and, and grown and my role with NAM has, has taken on some new aspects we've realized that we've got to work on some of the friendship aspects uh, yeah, just because we've good. been friends one of us for over uh, almost 20 years been doing ministry for 17 years together we still have got to spend time where we're not doing ministry where mm-hmm. we're spending time enjoying friendship with one another yeah. but on the other side of that, there are some things, and especially when it comes to relationships with those guys, that I can't talk about those things with them. Yeah, um, I need somebody else. I need another ear, either in the church, or I need another ear often outside the church, just to help me stay sane and see things in an, in an objective way, because... If my team, their eyes are on the church all the time as well, I need someone whose eyes aren't on our church all the mm, time, but they're good. caring about my soul. And so that brotherhood's been huge for that. I mean, I could start naming names, but I've got four or five guys here in St. Louis that they care for my soul. I got one guy that makes sure every single week, I got his text late last night, every mm, week he awesome. texts me to say, how are you? How's your heart? And uh, in many ways, that's my job in his life, but he does it for me as well. And then through the years, I've been able to develop relationships all over the country with guys in the SBC that one of the reasons I love to go to SBC annual meeting every year is just to see them. Yeah. Because cool. we care for one another and we are cheering each other on. And uh, one such friend, he, he got asked to come pastor in a church out west. 
And we had such a close relationship. He flew me out to preach his installation service because he thought, man, I, I would love for you to do this. And I was honored to do it. So I think, man, planters, we've got to find those pastors. Mm-hmm. We've got to find those relationships. And uh, we all long for it. And here's our excuse. We're too busy. We're too busy with our families. We're too busy with our ministry. But my mentor and one of my best friends in the world, Mark Sikma, said it, and I say it all the time, everybody's busy. We do what we want. Yeah, and when you good. see that you need it, you'll begin to do it. Yeah. Eugene Peterson has a provocative quote where he talks about the busy pastor is the lazy pastor because oh. he lets everybody else dictate his life, and he won't take control of what he can take control of. And and it's it's really, really helpful. A pastor who doesn't know how to say no and doesn't know how to prioritize. And if you make friendship a priority, it is going to be hard. If you make relationships with leaders in your church a priority, you may get people in the church who are offended by it. But it's better than burning out in five years and having nobody to talk to. Or going to another church and having people in that church you served for five years never reach out to you ever again. And those things are not good. That's not a win. You know, it really isn't. But so helpful. But I, And I long for that. You know, relationships, I found it's easy to talk about friendship. It's harder to do it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's just because of that, because of life. And that, I tell you, the 20 to 30s decade and into the 40s when your children are younger and in school, that's some of the hardest times for friendships. But it's really cool to see that you guys have made that a priority. I think it's something that needs to be replicated. One of the things I say at planter orientation at the Send Network every year in October when I lead that, uh, I give the brotherhood talk. I'm kind of a brotherhood guy around those parts sometimes. And I say you don't find community or brotherhood by looking for it. You find it by building it. Mm, And so I challenge every guy, you be the one who builds the culture. You be the one who builds the brotherhood. And other guys will follow. And so if we're all pursuing that together, we're going to find one another. That's good. That's good. Okay, you have five kids. Okay, married, five kids, you do this beard oil stuff because, you know, (laughs) beards are are cool for guys that can grow them. Um, And you do the workout deal, Pastor Fit, Nam, all these different things. Have you, or let's say, how have you, or haven't you, maintained proper priorities while doing all those different things? And you said your wife, you know, Heather grew up as a PK and kind of understands sounds like some boundaries and things like that, but how have you guys worked through those, uh, you know, yeah. the details of all of that? Yeah. So, you know, the couple of things you mentioned there, the beard oil and pastor fit, those things started as, as hobbies that I needed to make sure that I was healthy. Uh, they weren't, they weren't things I'm not doing them to make a living. I actually, all the, all the money that I get gets poured back either into my health or gets poured back into missions. All the beard oil goes to missions and all the pastor fit resources go back into pursuing healthy avenues for myself and my family and other people as well. Um, and so those are things that I needed to pursue to stay sane, to make mm-hmm. sure it wasn't just ministry all the time. Yeah. But uh, it's it's what's the top priority, keeping things the top priority. And so being able to put work down at the end of the day at a healthy time so I can love my kids. I coach baseball hmm. uh, for cool. my, my oldest son, and I'm going to continue to coach baseball uh, as long as I can. I'm not going to give that up unless tell me, somebody tells me I'm not good enough to keep doing it. Because I want to be invested, and I want to make the point that my family is my first priority. And, uh, and so taking my, my daughter to dance and picking her up and doing discipleship dates with my kids every week, um, just working things around that and um, keeping my family priority. My wife has challenged me recently that um, we don't vacation enough. Mm. And for the longest time, I made the excuse that I don't need a vacation because I don't like vacationing. Because I continue to think about things that need to be done, things that I love. I yeah. love church planning. It's not a job. I love it. 
But I realized this last season that it's not just that I need it. My wife needs mm, it from me and my kids need it from me. And so we're doing it. We're, we're pursuing awesome. it with, with more of our more of a whole heart. And I'm being more intentional and planning and, and not just going along for the ride, but, but leading in that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the, the way we've balanced it is open conversations, me li- trying to listen to my wife. Um, you know, if pastors, wives listen to this podcast, you need to be vocal. You are Good. your husband's helper, and if you see him doing things that are that are not healthy for you, your family, for himself, you need to speak up. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, don't 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 use the excuse. Well, he's called by God. He's called by God to be a husband first and a father second. So, uh, let him do that. Uh, let him hear your voice. Uh, he needs it. My wife has been the most influential voice in my life when it comes to to faith and health and and godly rhythm. So, uh, be that for him. It's awesome. So good. We've recently had the vacation talk as well. It's interesting. Something clicked in me J- growing up. Jordan's dad was the guy that planned. He planned everything. It wasn't his, mo- you know, her mom. So he planned vacations, planned everything that they did. I grew up with a mom who planned everything. And so a couple years ago, there was this, you know, moment where Jordan was like, "You don't ever plan vacations." I'm like, "Well, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, baby, that's." That's what you do. Yeah, that's what you do. So, but we just rehad that conversation. It's 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 good. That and that's so helpful. Listening to our wives and and hearing God through them. It's just so you know so crucial. And so let's talk health a little bit. Personal health, like physical yeah. health. Why is it important for pastors? Is it is that important? And I guess it's a broader question about health for all believers, as far as we can, you know, what we can do to be healthy. Why is it important yeah. for pastors? to be healthy as far as we can control, anyways. Yeah, so I say when I talk about the subject, I want to make sure that nobody senses a sense of inferiority or shame or guilt Amen. when it comes to this, because that can be such such a killer when all with all this stuff. And mm-hmm. so I want, I want to remove that from the conversation at the very beginning. But So number one, I would say, the reason we need to pursue health, uh, every believer, but especially pastors, um, is because Jesus came that we would have life and have it abundantly. God wants us to live... Um, free lives, free from addiction, free from um, pain, unless he has a uh, great purpose for that pain, which he often does. He doesn't want us choosing paths that are going to bring unnecessary things into our lives by mm-hmm. our own choosing. Let me put it that way. Yeah. That is sovereign and often takes us through really hard things. Um, but what I've found and what I've seen as I've studied and done research is that most of our lack of health, um, most of it can be traced back to choices that we're making. Um, people often say in the health world that, world that aren't Christians, uh, you got you got bad luck, you got bad genes, and you got bad choices. Well, you got the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says that this is what I have for you, or you have you have uh, genes, things that is passed down because of sinful, sinful, fallen human flesh, and just brokenness. But then you have a lot of bad choices, yeah. and the majority of things like heart disease and diabetes and things, it comes down to us making lifestyle choices, and those things we think. Well, I'm just living. I'm just living life freely, and I'm eating what I want to, and, and exercising as little as I, I want to because I don't like it. It's not fun. But God made our bodies to function in a beautiful way that gives Him glory. And what we realize is, when we get healthy, we can do those things that used to be hard so much easier. And it brings God glory. And it actually makes us feel really good because there's natural processes of releasing dopamine and other things that we feel better from the inside out. Right. But number one, I think just to just to live, just to live a really happy, healthy. Uh, free, abundant life. But number two, for pastors, there is the role. There is the role of being exemplary, of setting an example. We are shepherding a flock. We should be able to say in many areas of our lives, 
follow me as I follow Christ. It doesn't mean that we are always the the mold, but it means that we are pursuing those things as a at least a picture yeah. of pursuit of discipline. And so what I've noticed is I've pursued health the last couple of years really strictly. People in my church have as well. Mm, and awesome. because I've tried to do it with without uh, an, an, you know, an aura of pride or, or arrogance or look at me as much as possible, people have done the same thing. It's just we want to be healthy. We want to serve the Lord and want to bring others along. And so I think it's important because you're going to, whatever you do, people are going to follow. Mm-hmm. You're going to create culture for your church and those you influence. Leadership yeah. is influence. And so I, I think that's that's the second reason. And then um, the, the third reason is just it's longevity, mm-hmm. really yeah. longevity for pastors. I found myself 35 years old in the worst shape of my life wondering, can I do this for another 30 years? Mm-hmm. I want to do this for another 30 years, but I'm going to die. I'm going to die, or I'm going to burn out, or I'm going to flame out. And I've watched so many guys in ministry self-implode. They've yeah. chosen they've chosen destructive paths because they didn't know how to get out of ministry, didn't know how to get out of what they were in, but they were usually emotionally unhealthy, physically unhealthy, spiritually unhealthy, and often those things were combined. And I've watched health, nutrition, exercise, free a lot of guys in my circles uh, from anxiety and fear and, and tiredness, and they've all of a sudden uh, found longevity they didn't know they had. For instance, one guy, uh, after I went through Pastor Fit and got healthy, I got a group together of 11 pastors here in St. Louis, and one of the guys went through and saw tremendous, tremendous transformation in just a few months. And he came to me privately and said, Noah, I would have been out of my role as my pastor in my church within three months. I'd already determined wow. uh, until I got healthy. Wow. And now I'm able because I, I have energy that I never knew I, I would be able to have. So longevity, man, I want to see these brothers run into the kingdom with me. Mm-hmm. And um, and so health, super important. It's good. Really good. Now, we talked a lot, a lot of contributing factors that lead up to this. I have a handful of criteria. And you and I seem like we have a little bit different experience when it comes to just anecdotal evidence here. But I've only experienced one pastor that I know personally who has met these criteria of finishing ministry well. And I define wow. that as... as is uh, okay getting to formal retirement age, still loving Jesus. Okay, their wife still likes them. They, they have a good marriage still. Their kids respect them. Maybe not all of them are Christians, but there's respect there. You know, um, still no moral failure, no no unknown moral failure. You can still finish well if you've had a moral failure, confessed it, and went through some recovery, and then maybe God does a restorative work there or something like that but no hidden moral failures, and then five, still making disciples, so still passionate about discipling people. Just by those five criteria, I know one locally that's finished well. And I have another guy, I don't know if you know, uh, Phil Nelson at Lakeland in Carbondale. Phil is the second guy on my radar. He's awesome guy. Other than that, I've seen pastor after pastor after pastor, the ones that I grew up with, that just burned out. And I think... Largely, on a large scale, there is so much burnout. Why do so many pastors not finish well? Why are they burning out? Man, yeah, I've seen you talk about that before. I saw that stat, and I thought about it. I realized I don't know a ton of guys um, that have been full-time ministry. I'm young, and I don't have like a huge pedigree in the church. And I had uh, the same senior pastor of my church growing up my entire life, mm-hmm. and he retired in that role, and he's that guy. And then my uncle's another guy who's who's no longer at that church, but is a missionary overseas. And my father-in-law is has been that guy, but he's not yet you know formal retirement age. And so, really, I've been blessed to have guys in my life 
the mm-hmm. pastors in my life have been those men. And, uh, man, I, I just realized as you're saying all that how blessed I've been to see that example. Um, but, you know, burnout comes from a number of, of reasons. I mean, isolation is a big part of that. Uh, I remember having a conversation with a pastor that um, that had a, it wasn't a, a disqualifying full moral failure, but a, a situation that at least had him step out of his role for a little while. Mm-hmm. And all the people around him were like, oh, so surprised. And, and what he said was, no one ever asked me hard questions. Hmm. No one ever did. And the people that were supposed to, um, just they just didn't. They didn't do hmm. it. So isolation, lack of friendship, I know that lack of appreciation is a big deal. Hmm. And, and man, I think guys just feel unhealthy all the time. You know, we have this pressure to be better all the time. Yeah. Preach good sermons. I mean, I have the pressure of preaching one good sermon a week. Mm-hmm. But as I talk to traditional pastors, traditional established churches, talked to a young guy this last week, he's still responsible to preach a Wednesday night sermon, a Sunday morning sermon, and a Sunday night sermon. Yeah. And they're all originals. Yeah, and I asked tough. him, I was like, how can you keep that up? And he said, well, Wednesday's just exegetical. I'm like, that doesn't make it any <laughs> easier, bro. That makes it harder. Uh, in, in my mind, that yeah. makes it harder. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, and, and so... Uh, I think the pressure that, that are put on, you got a small church running 50 people and the guy's got to preach three times a week yeah, and it's got to be good. I just, oh man, I just, that's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, lack of friendships, isolation, lack of health. And, and then they don't have the resources when something goes wrong, when their marriage, because marriage, we're sinners. We're two sinners in a relationship with no way out. Yeah. <laughs> and we need the Lord and we need his help. Yeah. And um, we need, we need his people's help. And so I think that, this brotherhood thing is more important than we let on because we need it to, yeah. for longevity. It's good. It's really good. Well, it, uh, isn't God good? <laughs> he just is. He like, is it, so it, good. Isn't he good? And I think we, when we forget that, uh, last question I got for you. Why do you love Jesus so much? Why is he so precious to you? And I, I saw that question this morning when I was um, working out and I thought about it. I started crying in my work. I'm about to cry now. Just, mm-hmm. uh, he is just so very good. Um, you know, all the things of my life growing up that I experienced, all the brokenness of my mom's illness and my dad not being a believer, I've just seen God's purpose in those things. Wow. He's allowed me to see them, that my mom's life and her her physical brokenness, he had purpose for it, he had glory mm-hmm. for it, and she had joy in it. And, and God saved my dad even after years of running from him. He's been so very good to him. And, God has provided for me every step of the way. And I think what I thought this morning, the number one reason that I love him so much is he's loved me first. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Scripture says that. Yep. But he knows me. I know myself better than anybody else in this world besides the Lord. And I don't always love myself. In fact, there are times that I hate myself. I just battle with myself like Paul does and say, what a wretched person that I am. Mm. But Jesus knows me even deeper and better than I know myself. Yet he loves me. He awesome. loves me, and he, he's never going to stop loving me. And I know that uh, this last year, that song, Reckless Love, became controversial about the word reckless. Mm-hmm. But man, that song made me weep, and it still does almost every time I hear it. Because mm-hmm. when I look at the love of Christ for me, it looks completely reckless. It's mm-hmm. like, well, do you know what you're getting yourself into here, Jesus? And he does. I know that he does. Yeah. But it's from my point of view, it is so crazy that he would love a sinner like me. And not only that, but he would use me. And every time that I screw things up and I, I <laughs> fail and I, I fall and I sin, he just shows me his grace. And yeah. so, man, I love him because he first loved me. 
And I want, I want others to know that love. Oh my goodness. I want others to experience that soul changing life wrecking love that he's, he's given to me. So, so man, I love him because he first loved me and, um, I can never, never repay that, but I want to spend the rest of my life doing all that I can, uh, to try. Amen. That's awesome. Yeah. He's wonderful. God's grace is just, there's a chapter in knowing God about getting acquainted with God's grace and never getting over it. And when we come Mm. face to face with, uh, with the love of God and Christ Jesus, it just, it changes you forever. You know, it's just awesome. Well, thanks so much, Noah. Where can people find out? Uh, you could tell us about your podcast if you want to send some of our listeners that way. Tell us about uh, if people want to buy some beard oil. I'm not in the market. Uh, yeah. But uh, anything else that they can find out a little bit more about? Um, yeah, man. If anybody wants to check out things that are going on at AugustGate, AugustGate.com. We're on all the social go. media platforms, at least lots of them. Um, we started this last year, the Luke 10-2 podcast. We had our first season in the spring. Uh, just getting used to what that looks like. Had a number of people asking me to speak into uh, preaching and planting and leadership and said, right, let's put this together. Season two is going to come out uh, in August sometime, beginning uh, plans for that. And um, you can also check out sendstl.com. That's our website for everything Send St. Louis with the North American Mission Board, all that God's doing. It's got our events. It's got our uh, links to um, our podcast, as well as a new resource coming out this fall where we are going to be putting together a brain trust of resources from all the planters in Send St. Louis where people can come and just grab free resources on on uh, different systems within the church, blogs and ideas. And, um, you know, someone wants to, an eldership process. We're going to have a couple of eldership processes on there available. Someone needs help with bylaws and incorporation. It's going to be on there. Someone needs uh, a pathway to take leaders. It's going to be on there. So we're hoping to build that out and just be a resource, man. Uh, but if you want to, you know, connect with me, Find me on Facebook. I would love to connect, especially if you're a pastor uh, looking for connections. Uh, I would love to do that, even just to drop you some encouragement. So, uh, yeah, man, thanks for having me today. It's been a blessing to to know to know you, Jared, and to see God working in your life. And, dude, this is just a, a beautiful resource for pastors. Awesome. I appreciate it, man. And, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. And uh, for everybody listening, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.